Senda. Hey, Phil. Hey, I got this thing I really want to talk to you about. So look, I'm just going to start talking to you. Like, just hang on. It's going to be a little intense, but uh, I'm going to tell you all about it in the next like three minutes. Are you ready? Okay, I'm buckling my seatbelt. Cue music. Welcome to another fine episode of Pandas Talking Games. I'm one of your hosts who's been known to geek out on a few things every now and then, Phil. And I am your other host, Senda, who does this all the time, too. Yeah, in, in <laughs> truth, you do it far off, far more often than I do. Like, I think I actually do. I already did it to you today. Yeah, that's right? it. We'll talk about that in the lounge. Yeah. But um, <laughs> I don't know. I'm, I don't know, somewhere post-pandemic or during pandemic, I kind of lost my um, enthusiastic joy for things. I don't think I've quite recovered any kind of enthusiastic joy recently. That's, that's a, that's a, that's a whole therapy topic. Deep note to start on. (laughs) Sure. Yeah. Anyway, but we do actually have another note to start on, which is from Paige, right? Yeah. Let's start with Paige's note. Um, Paige, wrote to us and said via email, which you can do too. Uh, hey, Phil and Senda, when I GM a game, I get into it, planning sessions, making playlists, etc. My players enjoy the games enough to send jokes and memes and maybe do a little RP in between sessions if they're really into it and I love them for it. But I also know that they're not going to be thinking about the game as much as I do. Occasionally it goes the other way where I'm a player in a game where I'm really gelling with the character and put more time and effort into the game than the GM expected. Hello, hyperfocus, how are you doing? I, I, just a side note, I feel that so hard. Anyway, this is fun, but occasionally I feel self-conscious when I'm more into something than the rest of the group. How do you balance getting joy out of your games between sessions without getting weird about it? Oh boy, do we have things to say about this topic today? Boy, do we! <laughs> Firstly, a disclaimer. We are yeah. not therapists. We are just in therapy. <laughs> Yes. Everything we say here is completely amateur and armchair psychologist shit. Take it with a grain of salt or take it to your therapist and ask them like, hey, Phil and Senda said this. Are they full of shit? Find out. Yeah, we don't know. Yeah. (laughs) It's not our intention to be full of shit. Absolutely We literally don't have any training in this. We're going by our own personal feelings. Right only personal feelings, personal experiences, and what therapists have personally said to us. Right. Right. Yes. <laughs> um, yes. With So with that, we say that we have no malice in our heart as we provide you the rest of this information. Right. Okay. Yes. That's, cool. that's what we're really going for. Correct. Yes. Exactly. All right. So when reading this, I actually thought about this on a few different levels. Um which we're going to end on Paige's actual question, but we're going to start at the top with the focus difference between GMing and playing, because that is definitely a thing that we'll talk about in a minute. Then we'll talk about, um, we'll use that to kind of talk about what to do when you really get into a game, right? So like you really like get excited about a game that you're playing. Um, What can you do? Like, how do you harness that energy? Uh, And then we will talk about how to balance uh, getting joy out of your games uh, without getting weird about it. And we're actually going to do that 
um, in a little more of a general sense, um, because I think that that feeling uh, is applicable across a wide spectrum of things. Yeah. 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 <laughs> okay, cool. cool. All right. So let's start off with the difference between GMing and playing. Sure. All things being equal, if you have a GM full game, the GM is going to spend more time thinking about the game than the players do, right? Sure. No, Don't get on our shit about this. We said right. in general, all things in being general, equal. Just, just <laughs> it is true. Don't like if you're like an Uber player and you're like all feisty about that, don't get feisty about it. It's just true. Okay. Yeah. And this is not a dig on players. That's the, the other least. thing. Not in the slightest. It is, it is about the allocation of responsibilities. And in a GM full game, inevitably, because of the setup, more of that falls to the GMs, right? Correct. So GMs have more to think about when it comes to the game. Mm -hmm. I like mean, what? they have session prep, right? They got to get sessions ready. They have campaign management. If you're playing in a campaign, like you have things you need to kind of do uh, to move storylines along, continuity, that kind of thing, right? So you have some campaign management to do. Um, there's system mastery and new materials, right? I put new materials in there because if you're playing a campaign, sometimes supplements come out and you need to also kind of work them in that's kind of also in line with system mastery because it comes with understanding rules and learning rules uh there's world development if this is your um homebrew world there's a lot of world development if this is uh somebody else's world you're probably still doing some world development just on slightly smaller scales mm -hmm. And then there's a bucket we're going to call meta activities. These are things that you can do to engage the game outside of the game. Like they're not directly related to the rules or um, mechanics, um, even like they're just tangentially related to the game. So these are things like, and Paige had mentioned, like making playlists um, or making props, artwork, fiction, costumes, um, can you think of any songs, I guess? One could write a song or a poem. Anything yeah. else? I don't know. Any, anything that you could create yeah. to, 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 to go hand in hand with your game. Exactly. Yeah. Like there are things that are outside of actually playing the game, but they let you, in, they let you connect to the game. Yeah. And we call them meta activities, um, and we've used this term for a long time. Uh, because of a article I read a long, long time ago, which was uh, Richard Garfield wrote about magic, talking about wanting to have meta activities so that there was something you could do with your cards when you weren't actually playing the game, right? Deck building, collecting. Mm -hmm. And look where that, look that where that guy. Very successful. <laughs> that guy did pretty good for himself, right? Yeah. Like, and okay. for wizards. <laughs> sure. Right. And save D&D. Don't forget magic yeah, money is what saved D&D. It is what saved D&D. Yeah. Okay. Can't complain. Now, the thing is with that list of activities, they are not all mandatory, right? They are, some of them are optional. Some of them you will have to do to keep your game going, depending on what you are playing and how you are playing it. Like if, and it, it will just look different, right? Those are very broad terms. If you are using published adventures, then your session prep looks different than if you're writing adventures, which looks different than if you're running something like a Brindlewood game, right? Where you're, where you're basically your session prep is very light, whatever. Like, um, if you're running one shots, you're not doing campaign management, um, those kinds of things. Yeah. So, but imagine one could do all those things. Yes. 
And we do anticipate that potentially AGM may be responsible for all of those things, right? Correct. To the extent that they are required or not. Yeah. Yeah. So conversely. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) We're both really excited today, apparently. On the other side of that coin, when you are a player, um, a character has character development work, right? Um, System mastery, a thing that we all hope for players and are all bad at doing when we actually are players. Not all, not all of us. I just say generally, right? Like I include myself in Fair that, enough. in that listing. Um, and then again, meta activities, pretty much the same list of meta activities potentially that we were talking about for GMs. Yep. And I think the big difference here is that as a player character, all of these things are optional for meta uh, yeah. like I outside have, of game. I have 100% have, have and had players who put their character down at the end of the session and don't think about them or don't do anything with them until the next session. Yep. Like that is 100% a thing. Um, And it's not necessarily a bad thing, but it is optional, right? Like the one thing players have to do, um, have to do is show up. Yeah. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. Like the GM Wait, and, and play again, the game. <laughs> right. And again, this isn't to bag on players or GMs, but it gets to um, the first part of this, which is when you are a GM, it's easy to spend a lot of time thinking about the game because you have to spend time thinking about the game, right? Like, yeah. You just, there's more to do. So you inevitably think about it. When you're a character, um, you have the option to think more about the game. And if you get into it, which is what we're going to talk about in a second, right, then there are avenues for you to do stuff. Yeah. Cool. Cool. So um, quick question. Yeah. Out of the list of the GM and character activities, what's your favorite, least favorite of those activities? Yeah, I think that's an interesting question to to jam in from the uh, specifically that list perspective. I think as a GM, my favorite is world development because I do that at the table and I really enjoy doing it like as a thing. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? I sure. think um, so that's that's the the creative aspect. Um, as a player, it might also be world development (laughs) (laughs) Um, because I like also doing that, although it's a little bit different from a player perspective um, than as a GM perspective. Let's see, as a GM, I think I would probably put, um, I think campaign management is my least favorite because I think I would put all the executive management function uh category of actions under there like scheduling and yada 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 planning um that's not my favorite i'll do it i want to play i'll do it um and for as a player i actually think um system mastery because it's something that um i i like having system mastery don't get me wrong i actually really enjoy having system mastery I don't like the process of acquiring system mastery. Um, so the the bar threshold that I will jump through to get it um, is pretty high, <laughs> if that makes sense. Sure. Yeah. No, I what get a, that. What about you? 
So as a GM, um, I actually really dig world development too, but I am different from you. I actually like to go build a world. Yeah, it, it, it is session prep world development, I think, in a lot of ways for you, right? Like, no, 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 no. I love I mean, when, like, I love when we get to the beginning of a campaign and I have to write a document. Yeah. Most of the time you don't, like, most of the time you have not seen these because no, you're I the know. player. I'm playing. But I will write, like, a, like, I will write a five to ten page document uh, about the world. Uh, yeah. With, like, some history, with some, like, known technologies, problems. Like, there's one for Children of the Shroud that I wrote for Children of the Shroud, right? Which, if you're a Patreon backer, you have access to. I have one for Long Live the Queen. Uh, I have uh, one for Ox. Like, when I get to the beginning of a campaign, especially if the world doesn't exist, I love sitting and building out worlds. Yeah, I think what's really interesting is that we both really like the creative activity of that. I think we engage with it differently. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 I like, I will go. So what I like is I will sit and go, I will go off and um, like, I will first brainstorm with players, come up with a thing. Then I will go off and make some details for it. Then I'll come back, share those details and be like, cool. What do we want? How do we want to play? And then that will give me the ideas of like what the campaign sessions and things like that are going to look like. Yeah. Okay. So that's like my favorite thing as a GM. My least favorite thing as a GM is um, it's got to be system mastery. Not that I hate system mastery, but in the finite amount of time I have to do things, I just like it always falls to the bottom. Like yeah. I have session prep I need to do. I have campaign mastery. If I have time campaign management if i have and world development and if i have time i will try to get some system mastery in there meaning that meta activities are totally going to fall off yeah um, unless i get excited about something like i want a playlist or something like that um so I, I i don't hate it it just it's always the thing that if time is a crunch i will sacrifice it yep that makes sense uh, as a player i love character development i actually really like getting into my character um but I like put some boundaries on myself. So, and these are just self-imposed boundaries, right? But like I will, when we first make characters, I will do a bunch of work to make sure that I can get into my character for the first session, right? I feel like that's my responsibility is to know how to embody my character heading into the first session. But I don't have any like high plans or anything like that. I just have like some early motivations and some memorable things about my character that I use to kind of shape who my character is, right? And then after the campaign gets going a little bit, I will evaluate where my character is. Like, based on what I built to get into that first session, do I continue that route or do I diverge from that route, right? That's So I actually like character development, but I do know the pitfall, and we'll talk about it in a few minutes about the pitfall of character development. Yeah. Uh, my least favorite is um, probably meta activities. When I am a character, I tend not to do too many other things for the game. And I don't know if that's just because I assume the GM should do them or whatever, but like I don't make props for my characters. I don't often write fiction for my characters. Like I, I live in the moment of my character and I like, that's pretty much it. So that's... It is yeah. That's it. 
That makes sense. I like meta activities a bunch when I'm a GM. Yeah. I just I, don't seem to do them when I'm a player. I, I, I do them a lot. <laughs> now, I will tell you, the, uh, the game, the, the Amber Diceless role-playing game had a thing where you could get bonus character points by agreeing to do certain meta activities. Like, if you are willing to keep a character journal, you can get extra points for boy, your character that boy i would that's be gold starring right like yes <laughs> you give me a gold star to participate in an activity i'm already interested in like as a gm are you then required to read through all of that because i feel like that would be mean yeah of well, me <laughs> i mean the first goal is to keep a character journal so that you have like because that will keep you more engaged in the game right like that's the uh, I will say this, if you are interested in the idea of meta activities, by all means, drop us a note so that we can do another episode on it. I'm pretty sure we've done it. We I'm have. pretty sure the misdirected it's Mark has done it. And I have written a shit ton about it in the early um, to in the early 20 teens. Yeah. I was big into this idea for a while in terms of creating emotional engagement. So I am I am by no means a slouch when it comes to talking about meta activities. But anyway. I will, I will stop there and let us progress forward. Cool. What's, what is, all right. So that is, so that's just us talking about the first thing, right? There are just activities that GMs have and there are activities that players can do. And those are kind of the avenues where we can funnel our energy if we get into a game. Yes. So, so the next question following on that is what do you do when you are really into the game? Yeah. Yeah. Not all games, groups, or campaigns are going to be equal. Mm -hmm. They just aren't, right? Sometimes you will have the game that just hits different, mm -hmm. and it's just the one that does it. And yeah. when you get really into it, it's because it's frequently because those things are aligning in a way that is just magic. Uh, yeah. And there's it's there's no formula for this. If I knew the formula Oof. for how to create an intense right. game every time, <laughs> like I know how to put the I know how to stack the odds in my favor. But the alchemy of of making one of those games that like totally consumes your attention and thought, it, it remains a mystery to this day. Like I said, I can I can stack the odds in my favor, but I cannot guarantee you that experience. Yeah, it's. Boy, it's good when it happens. Yeah. Oh boy, chase that dragon! <laughs> chase right? that dragon always. Forever, forever chasing that dragon. <laughs> okay, so here's the thing: you really get into a game, and that's awesome. But playing the game is a scheduled, finite activity that requires the entire group, right? The session, right? Mm -hmm. We all get together on a Sunday at twelve o'clock until four o'clock right and that only happens if we all get together right unless you have a quorum rule or whatever but you get my point after at five o'clock we're not playing the game anymore yes but that's not how interest works no right <laughs> i mean sure you're going to be interested while you're playing the game but that's not how interest works like you're right. interested other places you're interested while taking a shower driving to work having lunch right like what do you do when you now have that interest and you're not playing the game. Yeah, especially, especially if you have a large amount of downtime between your games. 
right? Like yeah. even even before my group sort of started disintegrating into like playing every several months or so, we were still a bi-weekly group. We were not playing weekly to begin with. Correct. So the shortest amount of time possible between two games for me was two weeks, yep. which is I mean, a pretty decent chunk of time. I have two bi-weekly games that run mm-hmm. staggered from each other. Yeah. Yeah. So what do you do when you have high interest and there's time gaps like that and sure. you have time <laughs> yep. between? The answer should be obvious. You go back to those activities that we just talked about. Yeah. Most of those activities that we talked about can actually be done between games. Yeah. So as a GM, you can always do session prep and campaign management to keep the game going, right? You have to do a certain amount and you can choose to do um, more on top of that. Absolutely. Um, you can engage in the system mastery. You can always be looking through things, making sure that you understand, especially upcoming rules, um, seeing what new materials are coming out and seeing if you want to engage them in your game and then in then incorporating those, reading them, knowing well enough to have system mastery over those additions as well. Yeah, that's um, a nice reading activity. Like maybe yeah. you want to just take an hour in the evening and like break out your core book yeah. and, you know, brush up on your, you know, brush up on your rules. Yeah. World development, which is creative activity, mm-hmm. kind of generate world and space from whole cloth in a way that makes logical sense. It's good. And then meta activities, which are also creative activities that can involve your other passions, because that's where we can get into um, audio, um, visual creation, um, costumes, props, etc. Right. Like creating and crafting. Um, yeah. Which is just good stuff. Yeah, it's a nice, like, they're nice, like, overlaps, right? Like, if you're super into music and you're playing, like, for instance, um, in uh, in the early 2000s, I was running a D20 modern game that was all about heists. In fact, we just called it Heist. It was set in Las Vegas. And one of the players who was really into the game, because he was really into Las Vegas gambling and the, like, at that time, if you remember the early 2000s, that was like a big deal, right? That's when the yeah. what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas, right? There was like yeah, a big the, boom in Vegas. There's a um, Texas Hold'em exploded, right? Like all of that stuff. Anyway, that player was like super into that scene. So setting the game in that scene um, really uh, captured them. And they made, and, and, they're, and they are um, by passion a musician, right? Not by occupation, but by passion, they're a musician. And they went and made mix CDs for every player in the group. Every player got a mixed CD of music for their character. Yeah. Awesome. Which was super cool, right? Yes. <laughs> okay. So anyway, let me let me jump into players because I just talked about that, right? So meta activities are absolutely one of those things you can funnel your passion into. Um, character development is also a creative activity, right? That is a thing you can sit and do is work on ideas for your character. But yes, but but <laughs> but there's a challenge because you could wind up generating more character material than you can get out in the game. And as we have talked about in previous sessions, right? Character background stuff is great, but it it's not actual parts of the game until you get it to the table. Right. If it hasn't made it to the table, does it really exist? Sure. And not it could just really. exist for you, right? Like if you have sure. a 50 page background for your character and occasionally drop tidbits into your game, that's perfectly fine. Right. There's nothing wrong with that. But you can't expect like the whole group to be 
up on your 50 page character background. Yeah, you can't send that out and be like, um, I'm sorry, that's not how you can talk to my character. Because if you refer to page 39, paragraph three, you would have known, right? (laughs) This is going to get us into our third topic. Yes. In just a second. (laughs) Yes. Okay. Um, And then also as a player, you can also engage in system mastery. If you got a little reading time, a little study time, you can sit and uh, learn. And in fact, um, you don't have to learn the whole system. You could just get really good at your parts, right? Like you could be the best rogue. Oh, like you could know all the rules yes. and feats and everything for a rogue. Boy, Or you could learn the rest of the game. Like there's nothing stopping you from learning the rest of the game. But boy, will your GM be thrilled if you just know all the rules for your character. Everything yeah. that touches your character. It's why it's really funny that they they flanking doesn't really work the same way anymore because I was the flanking expert. Yes. From third edition and three five, because that's how you got your sneak attack bonus yes. without having to hide. That's and your so money. That is like on a, the actual yes. money. And so in terms of like battle mat, square by square, understanding what is a flanking position and what is not. I can still tell you with if great you draw precision. A line exactly. From, yep. <laughs> and it oh, has I to remember. pass through the center yep. of the creature. Yep. When uh, our Iron Heroes, <laughs> we played Iron Heroes in um, in the early 2000s. And that is, uh, uh, for those who don't know, that is a uh, D20 fantasy game where there is no magic, right? So all of the character classes, like all the martial classes are all beefed up. And some of them have sneak attack damage, but some of them have uh, like the archer. Bob's character had precision damage, mm. which follows the same rules as sneak attack damage. Right. In so terms of flanking. In terms of, of like if you catch them unaware, you right. can get precision. You can get your precision dice, which are sneak right. attack dice. Yeah. Or if they are flanked and you shoot them, you can get precision um damage or if they're prone or whatever so yes like you become like become an expert in your character that's our point yeah yeah anyway yes moving right along i still get excited about it absolutely don't even play that game anymore anyway cool um quick question as a gm uh and as a player when you get excited about a game yeah where do you funnel that energy i funnel it into the game and it tends to then spill out from the game itself into um, fiction playlists. And it used to be a lot of art isn't really art anymore. Um, Now it's really mostly fiction and playlists. And sometimes really excited conversations with other people in the game. Yeah, no, that's that's good. Yeah. Um, as a GM, if I am really excited about a game, I will funnel that stuff into um, meta activities. That is usually the sign I'm excited is that the spillover energy goes into making playlists or yes. I will go find like cool graphics on the Internet for things, right? Like that kind of stuff um, or some world building because uh, with like World Anvil and stuff, I can go and make articles. Yeah. And that right. makes sense. Yeah. Moving stuff into World Anvil, I've definitely seen you do. Correct. In an yeah. excited way too. Yeah. That's, so those things are kind of my spillover when I'm a GM. When I'm a player, uh, it's actually system mastery. I um, I don't like to, I don't want to overwhelm the GM with more material. So I get, if I get into the game, I want to be like the best 
player I can be in the game, right? Like I want to know the rules. I want to really understand the setting um, so that I am useful and helpful at the table, right? Like I know my shit when it comes time to play. Um, oh. I I feel like I should clarify a little bit when I say fiction. Um, when the way that I have ended up approaching fiction these days is essentially like fan fiction, right? Yeah, absolutely. It, That's what I meant by fiction. No, no. And I know, but it, it means that to me, if it didn't happen at the table, it's not canon. Correct. Right. At all. I don't share it. It's don't just like 900 me. of page, 900 pages of, of non-canon <laughs> fiction with okay. one of the other players in a game. But does that count as fiction when the game ended and the writing of the story became the game? I like mean, the to, boundaries are real mushy on that one. I mean, to, I mean, it, right. It started and then it, it carried on as, beyond. Yeah. It started yeah. as fan fiction for the game side quest and then it turned into the primary game sure. so yeah i need to i need to amend one thing when we What's were talking that? about players there's one more thing you can do as a player oh yeah i forgot to mention this you can actually engage in some uh prep or world gen for your gm right yeah sure so like you could get super excited and just have a bunch of energy and time and you want to do something for the game and the, and the gm could be like hey if you want to make some npcs like that would kick ass if you want to create a town or roll up some random worlds or make a monster or build an organization like like you know sure you you just be helping your gm with more material now you should ask your GM first. Don't show up and be like, hey, I made 10 organizations to jam into your campaign when the GM yeah, is like, well, like, uh, I'm full have up one. on organization. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so you want to ask your GM first, but you absolutely can do a couple of those GM things as a player. Yeah, um, sure. And they're super helpful, especially if your GM is kind of taxed. Like if you're playing a supers game and um, you're, you know, and you offer to make like some extra like villains for your GM. That they could, they, you know, they could just throw in whenever. That's a huge help. I know, especially as we were just discussing last episode, one of the things that you you personally don't like doing is having to craft from scratch. Ugh, right. Like complicated NPCs Paid and it. villains. Yep. <laughs> Paid it. Somebody wants to do it for me. I'll like all the better. That's the the fastest money I will spend on a game is the monster supplement or NPC supplement book. It is a no brainer for me to just buy that and save myself the anguish. All right. Yeah. Anyway. All right. So now we talked about things you can do in games. We talked about how to funnel your energy when you really get into a game. And now having built this kind of having built this table upon which we can now rest Paige's actual question. Sure. Yes. Right? Good. Which is how to balance getting joy out of your games without getting weird about it. <laughs> All right. I think oh I can say this with some confidence. Yes. As geeks and nerds, spanning several decades now, right? I was a geek and nerd of the 80s into the 90s. I mean, I am today, but like as you get older, like it changes, right? Yes. But as being a geek, a young D&D &D geek in the 1980s and carrying that through, um, I think we've all had one of these experiences where we've been super into something. We then tell a bunch of people because we're excited who don't share that interest and have had a bad experience from it. Yes. 
I remember um, when I was in college, I was um, I was pretty nerdy in college, right? Like I was super into my actual major classes, right? Chemistry and biology, super into it. And my um, chemistry professor had just mentioned one day about, and I don't even remember what it was. It was a type of explosive that like when it explodes, uh, it basically yields oxygen. So he was like, just offhand had made this comment, like it's great for, it would be great for blowing up safes because um, it won't leave carbon residue on the money, right? Yeah. (laughs) You know, it'll leave the money clean. And I, you know, and now I'm also, I'm also (laughs) still a role-playing geek. So like, I think that's pretty cool, right? Yes. So I go to lunch with my roommates and some friends on our floor who are not science nerds, like None of them are science nerds. And I may, I mentioned this while we're eating lunch and then they proceed to make fun of me um, for like the next 10 minutes. Right. Um, You know, the phrase carbon residue, like the, you know, Uh I just, I got made fun of for like 10 minutes and it was embarrassing. And I felt like, you know, I felt um, I was embarrassed, right? I I was embarrassed and a little bit ashamed. And I just, you know, all I did was share this thing I was into. um, And now I feel terrible, right? And now I definitely am not going to talk to them about this again, right? The next time I get excited about something like this, I 100% 100 know where I'm not going to go. Yeah. How about you? I'm sure you've... Yeah, I was thinking about this because I think a lot of my experiences were maybe a little bit more subtle because um, it was the 90s instead of the 80s when I was... A little better, right? A little better, right? Not a whole lot better, but a little better, right? Um, And uh, I remember that I was carrying... I'm trying to remember what, what book it was that I brought to school. It was a Dragonlance book and it was... I can't remember if it was uh, an art book or if it was um, the book of, I think it was the book of sheet music, maybe, um, for like all of the <laughs> songs in the original Dragonlance trilogy. It was oh, something that's my, that's like... my little nerd. Right, like it was something <laughs> really nerdy like that. And I don't remember why I brought it to school, but I literally carried it around with me all day because... I was really into it and I'd just gotten and I was so excited that it existed. <laughs> and I wasn't even playing, just just as a reminder, we're talking middle school here. I didn't start playing role-playing games until college. So this is pre-role-playing sure, playing games, okay. Senda. Obsessed with Dragonlance. Um, there was a picture of a kender in there that I particularly liked and I was drawing it in art class. So I had it open in front of me as we were doing sketches because I was like, you know, doing an actual sketch of the sketch. Um, and that is the moment that I got labeled as, quote, the nerdy one in my friend group in middle school um, for the rest of the time that I associated with them. Like on a permanent, like, I don't think that that was the only occasion that displayed my nerdiness, but it was like early on in my association with these girls. And it was the moment that labeled me nerd across my forehead um, for the next, let's see, 7th, 8th, 9th, 10th, 11th, 12th, six years of my life, right? Like, yeah. send us the nerdy one. Um, and it and it ended up being, you know, from there we roll into things like, you know, I went on summer vacation one year um, with a friend of mine who was, I had 
you know, previously known really well, hadn't seen her in ages, went out, had summer vacation with her and her mom. And she was like, oh my gosh, like, let's, let's take like glamour shots. And I'm nerdy little me is like, and, and, and she's like, no, let's, I want to do your makeup and stuff. And I've like never did makeup, whatever. So she like did my makeup, like did my hair all nice, like took these glamour shots. And I, I come back to school, um, the, you know, after summer break and I'm showing my friends and I'm getting comp quote compliments that are things like it doesn't look a thing like you and <laughs> oh there's they're so pretty it doesn't look like you at all oh great thanks um and it's because senda is the nerdy one right and it's this weird thing because uh, one more piece of context around this and then we can move on um but the rest of the context is just to to, to kind of place this I was going to a university prep school at the time. The classes were very small. My um, class that I was moving through with uh, of my particular age group um, in seventh and eighth grade, there were eight of us, I want to say. So there was like the girls and then there were like three boys um, and the girls were the clique. Um, so I was in the clique because I was a girl, not necessarily because they actually liked me, right? Like that's where things get weird. Um, so it was very interesting and uncomfortable for me at times sure. because I was like the nerdy one and I got excited about things and they all just looked at me like, oh yeah, send us the nerdy one. Anyway. Yes. Good, so let anyway, us carry yes, on. We've all had these experiences. Correct. Yes. And what winds up happening, right, is we often wind up um, through these, we wind up feeling ashamed or embarrassed, right? Because we've made ourselves kind of the outlier in the group, right? We're the one that's doing their own thing kind of, um, th you know, thing. For me in the 80s, right, this um, this kind of uh, geekdom or nerddom uh, came with the stigmata of being, quote, undateable, uh, which was not true, right? I was plenty dateable in high school, Um but it had that connotation. Yeah, here's the the other funny thing I wanted to mention on the heels of that is that I was the nerdy one. So everyone was astonished when I was the first person who dated someone. Sure. <laughs> they were all like, we can't believe you're dating someone. And I was like, if you were a nicer human being, maybe you would too. Correct. Yes. <laughs> yeah. All right. So... The result of this feeling, right, this this feeling of ashamed or embarrassed, right, is that um, it tends to make us not want to talk about these things, right, or to keep it to ourselves until we can find a group with similar interests, right, a safer space where we can, you know, quote, nerd out. Um, hopefully, from that feeling of being embarrassed or ashamed, we don't stop doing the thing that we were interested in, right? Hopefully... You just, you know, you hold it in, which sucks, but at least you don't lose your passion for it or give up your passion, right? Because um, that's even more terrible. Um, so ultimately what we're looking for is acceptance, right? And when we don't find acceptance, um, we withdraw. Yeah. Now I will say this, right? Um, we are talking about this in terms of nerdy things, but I will mention two other things that absolutely fall into this um, in in similar veins, right? One is sexuality. Yep, absolutely. Right. I mean, coming out is essentially this on a different scale. Yes. Right. Um, coming like, and the other one um, is, um, and it is actually also just a. Um, 
uh, particular thing is kink. Yeah, um, it's still coming out. <laughs> yeah, it's still a, it's still a form of coming out. It's still a form of revealing it. And um, if you are kinky, you have absolutely had a moment where you have accidentally shared too much information about something you did with your straight friends yes. and your straight <laughs> friends all look at you like something is wrong with you. <laughs> right. <laughs> and if I wasn't in my 40s or 50s at the time, I might have been more embarrassed about it. But at that point, I had kind of been Whatever. like, fuck you. I'm my own person thing. But yep. there is a moment where every kingster has shared one too many things to their straight friends who then suddenly look and are like, oh, my God. Like, <laughs> that's a thing, you you know, or it's one of those. The reverse of that is like you're sitting around with your with your vanilla friends and your vanilla friends say something like who would ever dot, dot, dot. Uh. And then you're just like. Like you're looking at the ground, you're looking at the ceiling, right? Because you're just like making eye contact with the one other person in your group who does know and like being right. like, ah, um, just mentally like having a telepathic moment. Correct. Right. Yes. Yeah. So for sure. Um, and, and again, we're laughing about it because we are both in a place in our life where that does not bother us. But if I was in my 20s, I might have been more, um, I might have been more embarrassed about it. I certainly, in terms of sexuality, was 100%. Like, I think I've told this story before. When I figured out I was queer, I was in college. I looked around at my roommates and was like, these are not safe people to tell this to. And just was like, I will just not tell anyone for the next couple years. And all the harm and stuff later that that trailed off from that. Please go ahead. <laughs> I'm I'm no longer sure I remember. Oh, the thing that I was going to mention is um, both of our examples. Um, we actually drew on uh, pretty pretty far back in Phil and Senda lives, right? Um, the thing that I want to say quickly, just in in sort of um, talking about that, is. I think that when you are younger, it is easier to be hit with that stuff really hard because you don't have as strong a sense of self. Um, and when you are older, hopefully it's easier to shrug that kind of thing off because you have a stronger sense of self. Now, yeah. having said that, I have absolutely also had these experiences as an adult. And um, because of the unfortunate circumstances of my marriage, which I will not get into details on, um, but um, because of the unfortunate circumstances surrounding that, and I'm, I know I've mentioned this before, um, I stopped playing role-playing games for a while. And a lot of that was related to shame and not being allowed to be excited about them. Um in that particular relationship, which was pretty miserable. Um, mm -hmm. And basically, so basically it was like, you're not allowed to talk about them. You're not allowed to be excited about them. Um, and that made it very difficult to remain engaged and to want to play them. Um, when I also didn't have a great game going on at the time, right? That was, the game wasn't generating enough excitement on its own. Yes. Um, so definitely it is more than possible just to be clear to have these experiences as, a, as an adult and it can be just as 
hurtful and rejection creating um, as an adult, and it can be just as shameful. Um, My hope for all of us is, you know, the more strongly you grow into your self and more confidently you grow into yourself as a person, the less other people's opinions are able to impact and hurt us, um, thankfully. Um, But... I did just want to call that out because we both did very old stories. And then I was like, I actually have much more recent stories about this drastically sure. impacting me. And it sucks. Um, but when we think about it, we frequently think about when we're being, when we're younger, you know? Yeah. And absolutely. Like, for instance, um, talked about this as well um, in previous episodes. Like when I came out, which was later in life, like I was able to come out with a certain sense of security as in like, you know, I can walk away from relationships that aren't going to be into this. Like, like I am, you know, financially secure. Like I am, you know, an adult, whatever. And so like, there is this thing that when you're older and you do have that stronger sense of self and you do have your, your own securities and things like that, um, that you can be a lot bolder, yeah. About some of these things. Yeah. Um, but for sure, when I was younger, when I did not have those things, I definitely was very self-conscious about them. Yeah. Um, 1980s high school, especially, of course, um, being a comic book and D&D nerd in the middle of the late 80s was was its own challenge. Rough. Right. Yeah. 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 Uh, all right. So now that aside. Yes. We're going to give some tips about what to do if you're really into something and if you're if you encounter someone that's really into something that you're not. Yes. Right. <laughs> um, well, and this is just in general, just like life. this now goes back to Paige's question, right, about yes. how to find this balance. Right. So we're going to start with if you're the person who's really into something, what are like what are some of the things and we'll ping pong through these. What are some of the things that you should do? Yeah, the first thing is. If you're really into it, be into it. Go be into it. Find your joy. Don't let other people's opinions about you being into the thing stop you from having that joy in your life. Absolutely. Right. Just don't throttle your excitement for it. Yes. The second thing is recognize that people have different levels of interest in all things. Right. Interests are a continuum. There are going to be people who have no interest or a lower interest than the thing that you are um, excited about. And you may be even surprised to find someone who has a higher interest in a thing that you are excited about. Right. So you you exist somewhere in that continuum, even if it's on the high end. Right. It's okay. Just recognize that, you know, not everyone you encounter is going to be super into this thing. Yes. Um, third, you can always choose to issue a disclaimer when someone that you don't know if they're interested in the thing or not, or how interested they are, um, is tiptoeing you into a conversation about the thing, right? You're about to drop into full passion mode. It's okay from a communication standpoint to give people a heads up. Or like a light warning. Like if we keep going down this path, this is something I'm really passionate about and you are going to get a lot of information. Are you up for it? So for example, Phil has a Star Trek warning label. Yeah, it's not really, yeah. It's, <laughs> and it's not like a set one, but like I will occasionally encounter somebody who will say something like, oh, have you ever watched Star Trek? And I'll be like, okay, like 
Very much so. Right. And just have to kind of like warn people like this is the thing I'm super passionate about. If we want to start talking about this, prepare yourself for like the fire hose of information that's going to follow. Yes. Do you, you know, do you consent to this yeah. fire hose of information right now? Or would you rather be, be like, oh, this is actually small talk. Maybe we yeah. just keep it at the small talk level. OK, now I understand where this conversation is to All correctly right. engage with it. And that's like with that's like with my non Trek geek friends. If I'm yes. like with my Trek Trek geek friends, like no warning, you're just going to get you know full throttle right. information. No, but, I mean, but if me. a coworker, but if a coworker is <laughs> like, oh, I watched that Discovery show, and I don't, you know, I don't, I, I'm not sure if I like it or not. I'm like, oh, okay, whoa, whoa, like, <laughs> yes, you know, crack my knuckles, you know, crack my neck. Okay, here's what's going to happen, right? Like, <laughs> like I'm going to tell you some stuff now, right? <laughs> right. So. That's like kind of my warning. All right. So the fourth thing is, and this one's going to be tough, but don't let your passion dominate the non-passionate, right? Like, yes, you are into a thing and yes, you want to share it. This person does not have your level of passion. Do not try to put like, do not hit them full on with the fire hose, right? Like share, right? Because especially if you're excited, share some stuff, but kind of give it to them in doses, let them switch the topic, right? Just like give them some breathing room because they're not as into it. Yeah. And fifth, find your people, which is just such a big thing because you need to have a space where you can go be fully passionate about your thing. And if that's not your current group or the people you're with in this moment, then there probably is a place where those people exist. And one of the joys of the internet is that they're probably out there, even if there aren't very many of them, the internet makes it possible to find them. Sometimes it's tricky, but, uh, but frequently, frequently that's the way that you can get to your people. And then you will have someone that you can talk about your passions with in full passion mode, which is yes, good. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right, cool. So uh, let's talk about if you're on the other side of this, right? You are, um, you're a person that um, is not into something, uh, but has encountered someone who is, right? So to Paige's point, like if Paige was the GM, right? Then those things that we just talked about kind of apply, um, you know, to what we just talked about. And Paige's players, right, who might not be as into, you know, the game as Paige's. Sure. This is, this would be the tips for them. And then we're actually, I'm going to take us off script a little, and we're actually going to just talk about that, like as a GM or as a player, like how to be passionate without, you know, drowning your friends. <laughs> but let's first yes. talk about being that person, right? Sure. Um, this, I mean, look, you and I have a lot of passions that are similar. Yes. Um, we yeah. also have some passions that are not similar. Like I am not into vintage clothes, right? Sure. Um, yeah. but, but you will talk to me about vintage clothes. Yes. Very right? passionately. So, yeah, exactly. So <laughs> let's talk about what do you do? What, like, what is good when you are the person who is not the passionate one? Yeah. First be excited for that person. Yes. They found their passion. That's so cool, right? Even if you don't care about the thing that they're actually interested in at all, the fact that they found something that they feel that strongly about or can think about to that level of detail, whatever it is, it's really cool. 
it's great. It's something to be excited about for people, right? Yeah, absolutely. Like, like there's nothing more wet blanket, right? <laughs> yes. There is nothing more yes. wet blanket than being excited about something and that person like cannot extend to you some amount of empathy. Yeah. Yes. Right? Like that's like, you just, you're like, oh, right? Like it's just the worst feeling. Yeah. Okay. All right. Second thing you need to do is share your interest level with the person without being mean about it, right? Like give them, because this, this goes in hand in hand with that fourth rule from before, don't drown, don't let your passion drown the non-passionate. You might not know if they're passionate or not. So give that person a moment to let them know where you are, right? Like, oh, I'm more of a casual Trek fan. I just like, I, I just, you know, watch the movies and then, you know, whatever kind of thing. Yes. Um, or I'm not really into vintage clothes at all, but like, tell me what you found. Yeah. Right. Like, right. That, like it sets the, it lets the other person know where you are so that they can gauge how much of the fire hose to turn on. Right. Yes. <laughs> Third, listen and learn something and ask questions. So to, for a reasonable amount, right, when you turn the fire hose down to the, the amount of fire hose that is consumable to you, engage with that, um, even without knowing anything, right? Engage with that because that's a person that you like, I'm assuming, or that you care about, hopefully, or maybe it's just a coworker and you want to have a decent relationship with them, whatever that is, right? Mm -hmm. Um, listening and learning and caring is a way that you turn turn towards someone to form relationships and yes. sharing being able to share that and ask questions even when you are personally not into the thing is a way that you form a relationship or deepen or strengthen a relationship that already exists with the person who is passionate about it 100% i was once in a um i was once on a business trip and I was paired up with this scientist um, from University of Michigan and did not like I was like, we could not have been more different. I was like in my 20s. They were like in their 40s. So like we're just we're paired up in this taxi cab heading out to dinner. And I was like, oh, I'm like, so what are you into? And they're like, oh, I grow um, orchids and roses. Oh, wow. Right. Yeah, I don't know. Cool. Like now on one hand. I have a background in, you know, some botany and plant biology, but not by like passion or anything like that. But at that moment, I know shit about growing any kind of flowers. But I just like turned and I was like, that's super interesting. Like, I've never like, I don't really know anything about that. Right. Yeah. Rule two. Yeah. Right. And I just yep. said, I set where I was. Yep. And I was, you know, and then I just said, was like, well, what's the like, what's the most exotic or hardest um, flower that you have growing? Yeah. And that filled the rest of our conversation to the restaurant. Yeah. As we were like, you know, meeting up with a group of people for dinner. Um, and it also didn't hurt that later when I, you know, when I would wind up talking to this person at other business things, conference calls, I would just like casually ask them. Oh, yeah. Like, like you know, how's how are thing? your orchids doing? Yep. Right. That kind of thing. That's the proving um, that you remember part. Exactly. So you know what? Soak up something, learn something when when somebody is going to tell you a thing they're passionate about. Because when people are passionate about stuff, it's almost always interesting. Yeah. Or at least like you, will, you will learn something interesting that you didn't know before. Well, yeah, exactly. Right. Like, but I'm like, 
I find when somebody's passionate about something, I can listen to them because the passion creates a level of excitement that I'm like, okay, I don't know anything about this, but I kind of want to hear some more. Yeah. Okay. For sure. Um, and then what's the fourth rule? Yeah. The fourth rule is to politely tap out if it's too much, right? Be like, oh man, this is really interesting stuff. Um, I can't make heads or tails of it. Or I'm, like, I'm not sure that I can understand it. Like, it's really neat that you have this all down pat or whatever, right? Yeah. Just be nice about it. Don't be like, exactly. wow, you're saying too much information to me or like, I'm really not interested in anything that you're saying, right? Like, mm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Don't, find, don't do that, right? Find, like, just, Find a gentle off ramp. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. But again, by creating that opening for that person, you are allowing that connection. Yeah. Okay. So. Uh, and I'm just going to ignore this last chunk of our notes because I sure. want to just go into let's, this. All right. So let's go off the let's rails. Just, yeah, let's just go off the rails here. Right. So if you are the GM and you're like super passionate about the game and your players may not be as passionate, right? You still want to funnel your energy into some activities, right? But you want to do it like you, you need to do it in a way that, um, again, you're not going to dominate the non-passionate, right? Don't drown them with your stuff. Um, but you still need to be excited about it, right? So this is like, for me, this is like where um, either world building or meta stuff comes in play. Because like for world building, you can build a lot of stuff, even if it doesn't make it to the table this time around. This may not be the only time you run this campaign world or whatever. So like, sure, go make like a bunch more organizations. If you never use them, like it's okay. Like your play, like then you didn't put it on your players. You just like you funneled your energy into this thing or go make a playlist for your game. Um, or, you know, get some cool artwork to put up around the game while you're playing or paint minis or buy minis, like, like those kinds of things where it doesn't push onto the players. Like you have to do this thing or engage in it, but it let like, but it still allows you to express it and use that energy. Yeah. The other thing that I was going to actually add to that is I also think if you, can't have these conversations with your players either because <clears throat> they are not interested to the same extent or also sometimes the things that you're really interested in are not things that you can share with them for whatever reason because it's part of the GM secrets of things that will be revealed at the table. I also am a strong believer in the GM muse, right? Absolutely. Someone who isn't necessarily directly involved in the game. They may not be excited to the same extent as you are about the game because they're not directly involved in the game, but they're that person that you can fire hose at. Yes. <laughs> right? Yes. Like even so to just be like, oh man, that sounds really cool. I can't wait to hear how that goes when you actually play it, whatever that is, right? That's so... Yeah. That, sorry, I wanted to add that in too because I nah, think... that's good. That's very smart. You can yeah. definitely have that person and they don't have to be one of the players in your game. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but yeah, you know, funnel that energy into things that aren't going to overwhelm the players, right? That just enhance the gaming experience. Yeah. Like those are really good ways to do it. Um, if you're the player and you're you're not the one that's super into this, but maybe the other players are, maybe the GM is, maybe everybody is, 
Except, right? except you. Except you. But, <laughs> but you, you know, like you're not not liking the game. You're just not like this is the best game I've ever played in my life kind of thing. Right. This is just like this is my Sunday game. It's cool. Yeah. I have a good time. Yeah. So, again, right. Don't be the wet blanket. Don't be the wet blanket for everybody else. <laughs> right? um, listen and get it, you know, like listen and, you know, uh, learn a little something, right? If the players are geeking out about certain rules in the game or certain setting elements or whatever, like take it in, right? Just be polite, take it in um, and, you know, know when to tap out. Like, you know, if this thing spills over onto Slack, like you don't have to answer. You don't even have to read the whole Slack thread. You can just let it roll by. Yeah. Um. It is okay to be the player who only engages your character when you're at the table, even if everybody else is going wild about sharing memes or whatever on, you know, Discord. 100%. Yeah. Right. And if everybody else in the group has written a five, a five page background for the character and you have like four sentences, but you're doing a great job playing your character at the table, don't sweat it. Awesome. Yeah, you're fine. Right. Don't sweat it. But also don't like make them feel bad for being excited to write those things. Right. Just let them write it. Yeah. It, it's really okay. And if you're a player that's, uh, so let's flip it. If you're a player that's super into the game yes. and your GM's just kind of okay with it. Yes. Um. This is the kind of thing where um, it can be tricky because um, you can't build so much for your character. Um, Because again, there's only so much you can build for your character. This is again where these meta activities really become a nice um, off ramp for that energy. Like you could bring another playlist to the game, right? Or if your game doesn't have a playlist, you could bring the playlist and be like, hey guys, I had some free time and I was like totally into it. So I like whipped up a playlist for our characters, right? For our game, you know, like that's awesome. Like a great contribution to the overall table experience that everyone will wind up appreciating. Yeah. And can participate in sort of at their leisure in whatever way works the best for them. Right. Because there may be people who then don't listen to the playlist and that's okay. And there will be people who are also listening to it with you and adding things with you and being like, oh, 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 what about this one, right? Um, And I know this because playlists are one of the ones that I have engaged in probably most frequently. And my Spotify is littered, positively littered with playlists for particular games. Um, And I still have them and I have kept all of them and... Uh, I'm here for them. I'm he- I'm here for, for individual playlists and I'm here for group share playlists um, to get all the people who are really interested involved and like, you know, people who aren't don't have to participate. It's, it's good because it's such an optional activity. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. And then again, the other one, which we talked about as well, is if you are, um, if you're super interested, you've got a high energy going and your GM's kind of, you know, just running the game, offering to do some of that prep stuff like making towns or if you're playing a sci-fi game, rolling up worlds, building ships, making, you know, making villains or whatever. Like those things can just be huge time savers for your GM. Yeah. Right. They, you know, just find out if there's a thing you can funnel that energy into. But again, follow those again, like those guidelines that we gave just at the beginning of the segment about, you know, keep those in mind. But, um, you know, that's like, I think that's like the best way to engage it. Like if, if, if a player came to me and was like, look, I'm super into this game. What else can I be doing for this game? Right. Um, I would definitely like, besides meta stuff, I would definitely hand off like, oh, you know what you could do for me? You can make me a couple cyber gangs. 
Right. Like just, just go bonkers. Just like some, go uh, yeah. roll them, roll them up, give them like pick out their equipment, all that stuff, put them onto the, you know, standard forms for me, man, that would be like the best. Yeah. Like you don't, you know, and I might, I might even be like, look, you don't even have to give them names or personalities. Like I, I may just want them you may as just want stats. blocks so that I can skin them later kind yeah. of thing. But may, oh boy, could I put a carrier? Boy, could I put players to use for stuff like yeah. that? <laughs> like, oh, you're, oh, you got stuff you want to do? Absolutely. Like you could make up, like I got a whole bunch of other, like I got a whole, I got a whole bunch of businesses on this block that we don't know what they are. Feel free to like detail some Fill them in. Fill in these Fill guys. In. Yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. And I would be like, to me, that's like, I'm hoping it's a win-win. They get to like contribute to the game and funnel some energy. Uh, it saves me some work um, because for whatever reason, I don't have that passion. So I didn't go and already do all that stuff. Right. Yeah. Um, so yeah, absolutely. That, those Like those kinds of things. And Pinterest boards. Like you, oh, you could right. draw if you're, if, if that's your jam, if you can draw, if you can draw, but like, <laughs> but if you just want to collect inspirations and like Pinterest boards are another really powerful, like collecting point, um, you know, anything you can craft, et cetera. Mm -hmm. Really the, um, I think the takeaways from this, as we kind of wrap this up one, be passionate. Yeah. Right. Don't let, don't let the fear of being weird or people not getting you or whatever, stifle your passion. Yeah. Right. I can't even tell you, <laughs> like you will, you will just regret it in the long run. Yes. Right. Just <laughs> be your own weird little self and love it. Right. And it's hard to do when you're younger and we struggle to keep doing it our entire lives, but as much as possible, just love being your weird little self and don't be ashamed about it and don't, um, learn to not need the validation from other people. That's, That's far easier said than done. So easy to but, say and so sure, hard to do. But go to, but yeah. but go to therapy with <laughs> that. Go to therapy with that list right there, and you are already on a good path, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, and then you know, at the same time, recognize that we don't all have the same passions, right? So we're going to encounter those people. We're going to encounter people who aren't into a thing as much as we are. And when that happens, we just have to know that like we can't engage with those people at our full throttle of passion. And then we just need to go find our people. Find right? your people. <laughs> yes. Hunt the weak. <laughs> oh, I love that song so much. And on yeah. the flip side of it, right, if you are... Um, if you are encountering a person who's more passionate about something than you, which is entirely possible, even if you are your own super uber nerd, somebody's going to be nerdy about something you're not nerdy about. Right. Yes. So have some empathy because you've been on the flip side of this. Right. Be excited for that person. Um, listen, engage them a little. Right. And then, like, let them know when it's a little too much politely. Yes. And then like, that's it. If we're just all good to each other, we don't have to feel weird about it. Yeah. Right. The be the feeling weird about it is honestly the audience fault. Right. Like, <laughs> yeah. It, I mean, it, because you can say it's too much politely. Yeah. And not make someone feel weird about it. Right. Yes. Because if, if you were like to tell me a thing, like, I don't know, 
vintage hairbrushes, Boy, for instance. Yeah, that's going to come up in a little bit in the sure. bamboo lounge. <laughs> and and it started to become too much for me, right? I would be like, oh, oh, easy there. Like, I'm so happy that, you know, you're excited about these, um, et cetera. But like, also, I, I'm, I'm not sure I completely get it, but I don't need to get it to be happy for you. Yeah. Right. Like, it, like there's we can just be good about this to each other. Yeah. Um, it's when somebody's like hairbrushes. That's so stupid. Like, why don't you just why go to Target and get a hairbrush? Like, why would you care? Right. Yes. Then is when you feel bad. Yes. Right. That is when then you're like, you know, do I, should I really collect these? Like that, like that's when the intrusive thoughts start. Notice who started that, yeah. right? It's the other person. Yes. Just Being because you're passionate about, about something. Yeah. Just because you're passionate about something doesn't mean it's bad. And just because you're passionate about something in front of somebody who isn't doesn't mean you're bad or wrong. It's how that person reacts. So we've told you, and I don't really think it's you people. I think if you're listening to the yeah, show, you're, you're all probably actually pretty fine. good. Yeah. Yeah. But it's the other person's reaction, which I guess maybe is the other takeaway. If you feel bad when you have shared something, note and remember that was their fault. Yeah. They made you feel bad. You didn't feel bad about vintage hairbrushes 20 minutes ago. Mm -mm. You feel bad about it now. That's them, not you. Keep being your awesome, lovely, weird little self. Okay. And with <laughs> and with that, Senda, <laughs> tell us about another show on the Misdirected Mark oh, Network. Oh, for a second, I thought you were going to say, tell us about vintage hairbrushes, but we're going to save that for the Bamboo Lounge. Um, yes. Also on the Misdirected Mark Network, you can catch Thacka with Advantage, on which Ange and Jared love talking about RPGs and D&D. They're very, as you would say, passionate about it. And they like to talk about it and they know a lot about it. So if you would like to turn on the fire hose um, from Ange and Jared, who have a very good fire hose, um, you can get insights into the games they're playing in the campaign journal and tackle a variety of topics that affect the game in the DM's workshop. And uh, you might even pick up an ancient D&D factoid about a previous edition of the game that you may or may not ever use. Depends on how, how wide they turn on that fire hose for that particular episode, I guess. Mm-hmm. Indeed. Oh, say, Senda, where do people find us on the internet? Well, you can find us at misdirectedmark.com slash panda. All of our contact information is now at misdirectedmark.com slash panda so that I don't have to say the whole list. And Phil, once they've gone to that page and seen all of the cool places that they could follow us or contact us, what can they do with that information? You should, like Paige did. Ask us a question, bring up a topic, whatever it is that we can do to make your gaming experience more enjoyable. Uh, we have many years, decades, many decades mm -hmm. of gaming experience. Mm -hmm. We have almost two decades, almost two decades of GMing advice experience. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, We've been game designers, like we've done a lot of shit. Um, and we are willing to put all of that knowledge and experience to work for you by answering your questions and providing tips and breaking stuff down so that you can see how things work and all of that stuff. So uh, we want help. Uh, so give us something to help you with. We want you to have more better fun when you play games because you'll play more games. And that is just good overall. 
Okay. Uh, if you like what we do here elsewhere on the Mr. Mark Network, consider hitting up our Patreon campaign. Go to patreon.com slash MMP. Uh, you get access to the Slack Room for Life. You can hang out with us on a Friday lunch. We'd love to see your face on a Friday. Um, you can get into the archive, which is just a shit ton of past um, episodes of all sorts of stuff. Like, it's just like there's more than you can listen to in there. Um, and some people have tried. Um, some people have on a show by show basis. People have yes. accomplished. Um, but yeah, but oh. especially when you start talking about misdirected Mark, where you have a backlog of like 400, 500, 500 yeah. episodes. Um, is a lot. Yeah, it's a lot. We're getting there. We are We're getting there. Getting pretty deep here. <laughs> backlog is climbing yeah. up. Anyway, um, there are also some higher tiers where you can access to our Children of the Shroud stuff. You can get access to our development stuff. Uh, Chris is doing some nice work uh, in there uh, with a lamplighter system. You and I are actually, I don't want to get anyone overly excited, mm. but you and I are about to do some work on uh, Turning Point. We are. And... Um, like we might be looking for some extra readers. I don't, I don't want to promise anything yet, but um, we're going, we're going to be rereading our uh, own manuscript and getting it dusted off and back up to speed. Maybe needing some other people to take a look at it too. Yes. Anyway, that all aside, um, if you are backing our Patreon campaign, thank you very much. If you're unable to back our campaign, um, we totally get that. There is just a thing you can do. It's helped some of you already, and we'd like you to pay it forward. Senda, what is that thing? Well, you can uh, leave us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts or the podcatcher of your choice, or you can tell a friend on whatever social media platform you are now currently using. Um, you know, if somebody asks for a uh, system agnostic uh, game conversation show, hey, that's us. So if you think that we might be a good fit, we really appreciate those recommendations as well. Um, that's pretty much it, though. We really appreciate everybody who has left us a review um, or who has told somebody about us. We know that some of you uh, definitely found us that way and we love having you here. So thanks so much for everybody who has already done that. Indeed. Uh, say, Senda, um, are you going to be able to hold it together for another few minutes before you start talking about these vintage hairbrushes? Uh, how long are we talking? This show is a joint production of She's a Super Geek and Misdirected Mark Productions, the media arm of Encoded Designs. Bloop. Yeah. Clicky it is. Bloop. Oh, okay. Um, just a warning. This clock is at 50 minutes. Oh, it yeah. is on my phone and not my watch because my watch is about to die, which means there is maybe a chance I grab it before it dings. But also it could go off. It's <laughs> likely going to go off at the end of the show. Okay. So we were not as quick as we wanted to be. That's mm -hmm. uh, partially on me. So is what it is. Okie dokie then. We should okay. do the counting. Ready? Mm-hmm. No, first we should say hi to Ryan. Hi, Ryan. Oh, hi, Ryan. <laughs> We're fine. We're just rushing. We have a four o'clock conference call we have to go to. And um, 
I still need to get bread in the oven and I just finished cleaning my house. And so anyway, we're just like a little rushed, but we're doing fine. Um, but we're just going to try to zip through this and try to be timely here. So uh, worst case, somewhere at the end of the show, you're going to have to zip out the part where my alarm goes off telling me to go start preheating my oven. So we Please. apologize in advance. We'll try to leave it with <laughs> just that as the only editing disaster you have to solve for today. Keep going. Oh, sorry. Finish your sentence. Sorry, you kept putting your hand up, so I thought you meant you wanted to speak right now. No, I'm excited and I'm trying to hold the thought in because as we've discussed, sometimes I get excited about things. Do you want to just have your thought right now? No, I want you to finish the sentence because it goes with your sentence. Yes. So, um. Bloop. He's gone. We're all going to sit here quietly until he comes back. See, I actually have a thing that I'm really excited to talk about, but I'm trying so hard to save it for the Bamboo Lounge. And I also really don't know if anyone else is interested in hearing about it at all. I'm really excited about it. This is also where I would tend to say I'm kind of silly or something. Oh, he's back. He's back. Okay. We're going to wait for him to put on his headphones. Oh, he's drinking water. Oh, man. So parched. Forgot to bring a water in with me. Okay. Okay. Okay, you ready? Bloop. Uh, enough time to do this. Show me what you got. <laughs> Show, Show me what you got. Show me what you got. Show me what you got.